Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe and Playoff Pod Part 2. In today's episode, Nick and I are looking back over games one and two of the Houston series and looking at the areas of encouragement and the areas of improvement for the Thunder going into game three. Plus, we're talking about the heartwarming context behind Lou Dort's very first playoff appearance. You're going to want to hear this. It's the Thunder Basketball Universe. Well, Nick, now we are two games into this series and the Thunder is down 0-2 against Houston. We're recording this on Friday, August 21st, and the Thunder just lost their second game yesterday against Houston. Nick, there were a lot of adjustments made in that second game that the Thunder learned in that first taste against Houston on Tuesday. Game one really was a feel-out game. That's what Chris Paul said afterwards. This is a team that the Thunder played three times in the regular season, as we mentioned last podcast, but none with this current alignment where they're basically playing five guards at all times. They've got eight guys that rotate in and out. All of them shoot threes. All of them put the ball on the deck. All of them can finish in transition. And so this is a, a totally different type of style and approach that the Thunders had to deal with. I think defensively, the Thunder made some great strides between games one and game two put themselves in a better position to potentially win game two. Offensively, they're still trying to figure out how to be able to get consistent scoring opportunities against this very soft, switching, like lane-clogging Houston defense. That's right. And in game one, that's really where the Thunder kind of got their first look at how they were going to approach this Houston defense. It was it was really stop and go for the Thunder. They were just trying to find a way to put consistent points on the board. I mean, overall, they didn't shoot the ball terribly. They shot 44% from the field in game one. And then in game two, they really came out of the gate strong in that first half. They went into the half with a six-point lead. And the Thunder's offense was just really going really well and humming to the identity that they really like to play at, but fell short in the second half after Houston went on an unanswered 17-point run. Yeah, the, the Thunder was not getting the quality of shots that they had previously gotten. You know, in that first half in Game 2, Chris Paul, SGA, uh, Dennis, they were kind of getting to those mid-range shots that they like right at the elbow, right at the nail. In the second half, Houston was taking those away, and some of those mid-range jumpers were floaters trying to go in off the backboard or kind of at odd angles further along uh, on the side. And, and that's just, they weren't exactly the most comfortable shots. And then also, really, I think just, I mean, OKC has been one of the best jump shooting teams in the league this year. But that's all they were able to get in that second half, and they didn't get those shots down low down at the rim the way they did in the first half. Well, Nick, this leads us into the, the main part of this first half of our podcast, and, and that's going to be the areas of encouragement and also the areas of improvement for the Thunder going into game three. There was a lot to break down in that second game, things that the Thunder really did improve upon and do at a high level on both ends of the floor. And we'll start with offense, Nick. One area of encouragement, at least in my eyes, was the pace and the tempo that the Thunder played at against that the, Mike D'Antoni said it, they, they, want the, they want their defense to look like a zone, and they're encouraged when people say that it is a zone, but it's really not. It's just this lax match-up man-to-man that really switches everything one through five and protects the paint really, really well. 
And one thing that the Thunder really did at a high level was get the ball ahead of the defense and, and really get into the paint and create opportunities on the perimeter. Yeah, Houston's really kind of just building a semicircle just outside of the lane and daring the Thunder to take three-pointers after just kind of swinging the ball around the perimeter. What makes Houston tough is they are playing five guards who are all long and quick. You know, it's not like they, these are 6'2 guards. Everybody on the floor for Houston is somewhere between about 6'5 and 6'8. And they've got a lot of length. They've got size. The ability to quickly on the catch get out and close out and get a hand up, but not allow those dribble drives. And that's been, those drives have been kind of the lifeblood of this Thunder team all season long. The other aspect of this, Paris, is you know, Chris Paul over the course of the season, yes, they've, they've dealt with some switching, but never switching through the entirety of a game mm-hmm. against you know, a drop coverage, against a trap. Chris Paul is going to be able to, over the course of a game, recognize what the different scenarios are, what, you know, where the help is coming from in each one of those situations. And against switching, there's really no formula that Chris is able to kind of crack that code by, by the fourth quarter. And so what that, what that is causing the Thunder to do is to have to, every possession down, find a mismatch, isolate, get enough movement and enough tempo to then try to get a somewhat contested shot off. And if the Thunder's not able to beat their man one-on-one off the dribble, we're seeing a lot of contested difficult shots. The other interesting thing that we saw kind of in that first quarter of game two was getting Steven Adams early often paint touches to get the offense going. He had, he assisted or scored on the Thunder's first seven points of the game. And that really kind of gave the offense that, that spark to get the ball rolling and get that momentum moving. And, and Steven, as we all know, the lone seven footer on the floor, that that's a, a huge area where the Thunder can really have an advantage there. But again, like you said, the, the, the Houston does a great job of just containing that painted area so getting him the ball is kind of tough but if he gets those early touches early in the possession maybe in transition that's a good look for the thunder in that area yeah yeah exactly right those deep seals on rim runs and transition very quickly getting out of screens when houston switches and then sealing his man in the middle of the floor that is crucial game one steven actually did a great job of that he drew six fouls on Houston's uh, guards that were trying to, to cover him down there. And Danilo Gallinari drew another five in that game. And that's something that the Thunder has toyed with in these first two games, getting Houston's main guys into foul trouble. They've gotten players up to about four fouls, but never truly into the five foul territory where that's going to make Mike D'Antoni have to think about who he's got on the floor mm-hmm. and at what stage of the game. And if the Thunder can get, those guys into a little bit more foul trouble. If they can be more assertive, if they can get out of those screening actions a little bit quicker, get those deep seals and, and force Houston to wrap them up. uh, We could see a a very different dynamic play out in the second halves of some of these games. Well, that's an easy transition into our second point of encouragement, which is the free throw line. This is obviously an uh, area of identity. We've talked about so much on this podcast that the Thunder usually makes more free throws than their opponent attempts. And that battle at the free throw line normally always plays to the hand of the Thunder. And that's what has happened in these first two games. In game one, the Thunder shot 25 free throws compared to 19 for Houston. And then in game two, it was a little bit closer, but the Thunder still, shot 19 compared to 18 from Houston. So that's still an area where the Thunder is doing a great job of getting to the free throw line and getting those 
easy points on the board. That's something that they, they don't want to lose going into game three. Well, the biggest thing is actually on the defensive end. Yes, definitely the Thunder wants to get to the free throw line, but Houston is second in the NBA in free throw attempts per game, 26 a game. James Harden usually takes about 11 or 12 himself. And the Thunder's done a very good job of limiting those, not allowing for these explosive nights at the free throw line for Houston. That has to maintain itself. The fact that that hasn't happened yet and the Thunder is down 0-2 means that OKC's margin for error is very slim. And if they have one of these blow-up nights where they're fouling a lot, that could make this even more challenging to get back into the series. Yeah, but we talked about this a lot, but playoffs do just come down to the margins and those easy points. If you can eliminate one area, maybe it is free throws, maybe it's transition points or or, or three-point shots, you just can't let all of those accumulate. That's where things start to balloon out of control. And the Thunder's doing a really good job of making sure that that specific area plays to their favor in the playoffs. Well, now it's a good chance for us to go into an area of improvement for the Thunder in these first two games and something that they're going to look to shore up going into game three. And on the offensive end, that's consistent ball movement for 48 minutes. The Thunder did a fantastic job of this in the first half, and that's why they were up six going into the second half of the game in game two. But again, that Houston defense, the the strange – presentation that they put on the floor really sagging back and allowing the Thunder to kind of tempt them to shoot threes that that's a tough thing to go up against and the Thunder is going to have to do a good job of keeping that ball movement going throughout 48 minutes against this Houston defense. Paris if you remember uh, when you first got here you were fresh on the scene you'd been here like maybe a month or two and we were just starting to get into training camp Billy Donovan was very clear about this team needs to be decisive and make very quick decisions as soon as they catch the ball. They do not have this, you know, these guys that are just absolutely absurd at creating their own shots, you know, the the superstar level players. And so the Thunder had to be able to beat people by being very sure of itself on offense. And as soon as they, they took the ball, you know, got a catch on the wing, it's not holding it there in triple threat position. It's mm-hmm. knowing exactly what the next pass is or the next dribble is or, or the drive. And sometimes making a decision is better than being worried about whether you the right or wrong decision. And so I think in this series, that's more important than ever because we see so many times the ball gets kicked to the wing and the Thunder players may be wondering, should I shoot this? It's kind of an open three. It's not completely open. Uh, or should I try and probe and attack more? I think that's their, you know, the more natural instinct. And so we're seeing these decisions that are actually being made on the court. And that's what you don't want to see. You want to see reaction and, and not thought and contemplation. Right. And the Thunder's done this. It stretches during both of these games. They've had areas where the ball was moving. It was popping. They were getting into the lane, kicking it out, and swinging the ball around the perimeter. And then there were the other larger lulls in the game where that just didn't happen. And the encouraging part is that they know they can do it. They've done it in this series. Now it's just a matter of doing it for 48 minutes. Well, Nick, we covered the offensive side of the ball. Now let's roll into some defense. This is really an area where the Thunder, I feel like, had the biggest difference from game one to game two. 
specifically when it comes to corner threes. This is the lifeblood of Houston offense. Obviously, they shoot at such a high clip and shoot a high volume of threes. But in game one, Houston attempted 23 corner three-pointers and only 14 in game two. That was a really big difference. And really, the Thunder was able to hold Houston to a relatively low 33% from behind the three-point line. Yeah, and above the break, Houston went 11 of 44. That's only 25%. And that was, as we mentioned, the vast majority of where their three-pointers came from. Unfortunately, though, the Rockets went 8 of 14 in those corner threes. That's an absurd percentage, and it just sheds more light on why the Thunder has to do everything it can to take away those shots. You see such a massive gulf between the shooting percentages in the corner compared Mm -hmm. to above the break. The reason those shots were not coming at as high of a, a rate for Houston was Thunder did a much better job of walling off driving lanes. And, and if you notice a lot of James Harden's drives, a lot of Eric Gordon's drives, Houston's ball handlers drives were getting stalled out right around the free throw line. And while that is some level of penetration, it's not enough to really compromise the Thunder's full like defensive five man unit. All that the, the Rockets were able to get with those drives are just quick little drives into the into the free throw line and then a kick out to the perimeter which maybe gave a little bit of room to launch an above the break three but not enough to do it completely cleanly without a contest and definitely not enough to force another rotation and then get it into the corner yeah this is where the basketball nerd in me just kind of did like a really deep dive on this and I was I was so curious because the 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 corner threes were coming at a high rate for Houston And after hearing Coach Donovan talk after that game one, he said that it wasn't really as much about the threes and contesting the threes. And like you mentioned, Nick, it's about contesting the drive and stopping the penetration that Houston does on the offensive end. As we all know, they play that five out, five guard style. And what that does is that allows them to get into the lane with a lot of space if they beat their man. And what that does is that draws a lot of help. And so if you help off of the corners, that leaves a lot of space to cover, to have to recover out to those three-point shooters. So like you said, if they're able to stop the ball earlier in that drive, that's less help that has to come from the opposite side of the ball. And so those three-pointers come at a a much, much lower rate. So I thought that was a really interesting thing to think about going into game two, knowing that if you stop the drive and you can test kind of wall off that lane, then you really do help yourself in covering those three-point shots. Yeah, and as SGA said, it's going to take multiple efforts. And Mm -hmm. that might sound kind of like a vague term, but really what that means is being able to cut off the driving lanes, get back out to contest a shot, scramble over to in-help side defense, get back to the corner to get to your man, and then do a nice job of closing out and making sure that that drive doesn't again happen on the baseline. So these are all things that the Thunder's got to do for, for 24 seconds on every possession, and then they've still got to rebound. And so, you know, when people say that Houston is exhausting to play against, they mean that for a lot of reasons. Yes, they get to the foul line a lot, and that is exasperating. But it's also just, it's work. It's constant yeah. work for the full shot clock. That's right. And this also is, a, is a, the same mentality they're going to have to take guarding James Harden which they did at a really, really high level on Thursday. And a lot of that had to do with Lou Dort, who was back into the lineup for the Thunder and started against James Harden. We'll get to Lou a little bit later, but 
James was only held to 21 points in the second game versus 37 in the first game. Now, 21 still sounds like a lot, but it's 15 below his season average. And, and that's a win for the Thunder. And the Thunder did a really good job of making his looks really, really difficult in game two. And, and like you said, Nick, it's multiple efforts, and it required a lot of attention from all five players on the floor. Well, this leads us to the area of improvement for the Thunder going into game three on the defensive end. And Nick, that's transition defense, which the Thunder did a good job of doing in the first half, kind of limiting Houston's ability to get to the rim in transition in the first half. But again, that kind of fell flat a little in the second half. And that's something that the Thunder, again, is going to have to look to do for 48 consecutive minutes. That's been a strength of the Thunder all season long. They were first in the NBA in fast break defense, allowing the fewest points in transition. Uh, there was maybe some conjecture externally that the Rockets might play a little bit slower without Russell Westbrook on the floor. That has not been the case. In, in some ways, they've played just as fast, if not faster, with kick-ahead passes. The one dynamic that is just fascinating in this is with the five guards on the floor, every rebound immediately becomes a fast break. Right. There's no outlet pass needed. There's, it's just grab and go. And that is something that the Thunder's really got to you know, focus on and figure out because for as well as Houston has shot the ball in this series, as well as their offense has hummed and they've gotten contributions from everybody, what the Thunder can't do is allow easy buckets. And there have been a few slip outs and a few uh, over-the-top layups and, and that type of thing. And, and those – little points here and there, they matter so much. And we've seen it on the opposite side too, where the Thunder has maybe missed some bunnies right around the rim. If you're giving up easy points in, in transition and then you're missing your own layups, that is a bad recipe. Here at the Thunder, we like to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing, Nick, it's simple. The Thunder's going into game three, down 0-2. And, and this is really a, a turning point in the series. And Nick, you've kind of been in this situation before. You've seen this as our resident podcast veteran. What's it going to take to go into this game and, and come out successful? Yeah, just belief. Uh, obviously, the Thunder has missed on a couple opportunities. And I think the key is there might be this temptation to feel like, oh man, we, we missed that chance. And then to feel like that somehow determines what's going to happen in the future. And that's just simply not the case. Being down 0-2, particularly down in the bubble where there's no home court advantage, where you don't got to go to somebody else's court for game five and game seven, uh, anything can happen. And uh, I think this situation, though, does remind me of one of the, the five times that the Thunder has been down 0-2 in a series, and that's against San Antonio in the Western Conference Finals in, in 2012. Felt like Thunder had missed a couple chances to, to go, you know, get uh, steal a game down in San Antonio. And then OKC rips off four straight wins and goes to the NBA Finals. The other time that kind of reminds me of, though, Paris, is the NBA Finals back when in 2012, the, the next series after that, the NBA was playing 2-3-2. And so the Thunder had home court in that series, but then had to go to Miami for three straight games and were there for about seven or eight days straight. And it, it just felt like we were in the twilight zone a little bit. We were there for so long. The, the media circus around um, the, the NBA finals is just so crazy. 
And so you're there for three straight games. And, and I got to imagine that's kind of what this feels like for the guys down in, in the bubble in Orlando is you're going back to the same hotel every night. On top of that, the Rockets and the Thunder are staying in the same hotel. <laughs> you're playing in the same arena every night. There's just, there's nothing like this, no new catalyst that's going to change the momentum or change the feeling around the series. So the Thunder's going to have to manufacture that all on its own. Um, and that can either come with decisions that the coaching staff makes, um, just energy that's brought to the floor, a new dynamic, a new player uh, making a contribution, but it's got to come from within in this scenario. Well, the Thunder does certainly have a encouraging track record in situations like this throughout this season in particular, being down double digits on the road, coming back and winning. I just automatically think back to March 8th against the Boston Celtics in enemy territory. Thunder come back from down 18 points and win at the last second. I mean, this is a resilient Thunder team who has shown time and time again that they have the ability to manufacture their own energy and overcome adversity. And so if there's one thing I feel like we and Thunder fans have learned, it's you don't leave early from Thunder games and you don't count this team out when it looks like the odds are, odds are stacked against them. Yeah. Keep that clicker tuned to Fox sports, Oklahoma. We'll, uh, we'll make sure that uh, we get you all the info that you need and that you stay with us for the entirety of the game. And, and just for further context, Paris, the, the Thunder is five and zero in game threes when trailing 0-2. They've only come back and won one of those series, that that one down in San Antonio that I mentioned in 2012. But they have always given themselves a chance to get back into the series and, and make it competitive. So uh, hopefully, you know, for all those in Thunder Nation, OKC does the job again on Saturday. It is now time for Made You Look. And what made us look actually kind of took our eyes away from this this series against Houston and a little bit towards the future. It was announced that the Thunder will have the 25th pick in the 2020 NBA draft. And if you're not keeping track of the Thunder's draft picks for the next several years, I suggest you get a a pen and paper and you you go to OKCThunder.com and start writing this stuff down because it, it is extensive. But this case in particular, there's a little bit of a different situation with how the Thunder has this pick. Nick, maybe you, you could explain it to the people a little bit. Maybe the simplest way to put this is the Thunder got three years of Jeremy Grant to move from the 21st pick to the 25th pick in this draft. Uh, in my book, I mean, that was a high-level rotation player, a guy that you could throw in a spot starter, a guy that could defend and play multiple positions. Four spots down late in the, tw- in, you know, in the 20s anyway. I, I think that was um, very shrewd by Sam Presti, Thunder General Manager, and the front office to be able to kind of pull this off. For context, uh, Thunder traded a first-round pick to Philadelphia for Jeremy Grant uh, at the beginning of the 2016-17 season. Then this past summer, the Thunder traded Jeremy Grant to the Denver Nuggets for a first-round pick. Just so happens in the intervening years that pick that the thunder (laughs) traded for jeremy grant ended up back in denver and back to the oklahoma city thunder and so that is why the thunder is picking 25th in this draft if that was confusing for you as a listener don't worry it took us a couple tries to get that right on the podcast we definitely have several notebooks dedicated to the thunder's draft picks and future in the draft so don't feel bad and be sure to keep track of this because this will certainly play out several years down the road for the thunder in the future
have now come to that point in the podcast, the lovely point in the podcast, where we want to bless your timeline. And we mentioned him earlier, but we want to circle back because this was absolutely heartwarming to see Lou Dort back out on the floor for the Thunder in his very first ever career playoff game. And what better opponent than to face James Harden, the same player that you got your first NBA start against eight months ago, literally almost to the day in January, in his first ever career start guarding James Harden and had a pretty similar result. Yeah, uh, MLK Day, January 20th, Lou Dort slotted in the starting lineup down in Houston, helps do a number on Harden, holding him to one of 17 shooting from three-point range. Uh, Obviously, as Lou recovered and still continues to kind of recover and get his bounce back from that sprained knee, he is not going to be put have a ton of pressure put on him to be like the James Harden stopper. That's just too much to put on any player, let alone a rookie who was a two-way player just a few months ago. So with that, with that said, it's going to be a team effort. But Lou just has an uncanny ability with his frame, with his size, his, his width of his shoulders, and his quick feet to really do what we were talking about earlier in the podcast, Paris, which is make those those drives by James, not get all the way actually into the paint, but get cut off just before the free throw line and just before that elbow area. And the difference that that makes in defending Houston is absolutely massive. And that can really only be done by you know a handful of guys or just some great tenacity. But a player with Lou's physicality, James Harden, despite you know the number of fouls that he draws, is really, really physical and is able to use his body and his size at 6'5 and you know, well over 200 pounds to bully guys as he gets to the bucket. And, and Lou Dort is not going to be bullied. That's right. And after the game, he said, Lou said, you know, I felt comfortable. I felt great. And it was great to be back out there with my guys. But he was humble as ever. He said, I was just doing my job. You know, I watched film with the coaches, go over the scouting report, and I'm just doing what the coaches told me to do. And so, again, it just goes to show kind of the character that Lou has, you know, he, he got his first NBA start against James Harden, did a great job against him and then kept that same energy. Even after, you know, a four month hiatus after signing an NBA contract and then playing in his first NBA playoff game, you know, there could have been a little bit of, you know, mental lapse there or a little bit of anxiety or or nervousness going into this game, which I'm sure he might've had as a rookie, but it didn't show. And he did a great job, just like he did consistently all throughout this season. So that was really, really great to see from Lou. The key for him moving forward is, can he create uh, an offensive threat where he's not just you know standing on the corner, standing on the wing, waiting for a three-point shot? At this point, he's not a high-level three-point shooter. And that's allowing Houston to kind of pull in and pull off of him and provide more help in the lane. If Lou can find ways to either knock down shots from three or cut, move, screen, do, you know, do some other things to make himself a factor on offense and make Houston have to guard him, that would be huge for this Thunder offense. That's right. But we have to remember, he is a rookie. And so he's got a lot of room for an area of improvement. And as we've all seen, he is one of the hardest workers out there for this Thunder team. And so if he keeps working at it, keeps doing what the coaches tell him to do, there's, there's a lot of room for growth for Lou Dort, and it'll be exciting to see what he does in the future. 
That wraps up today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to our producers. And until next time, thunder up and catch you later. <laughs>